0: Greetings. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share you and your word and your direction for your church with those who are willing to take the time to listen. I ask you, Father, that you would speak to us today and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. By your grace, I am your conduit, and I trust you to speak to us today. Let me speak with your words, your attitude, your spirit, and not my own. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, talk to us. Let faith rise up in us, that we might do your will, participate with you, and please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to... uh, Call of War 2016 video briefing number three. I would like to say again, I am presuming, assuming, one or the other, that you have watched Call of War video briefing number one and number two. It's not that you can't get anything out of this video briefing without having watched the other two, but much of what will be said today will not make near as much sense uh as, that I would like for it to make if you are not uh, uh you have not previously watched the uh, other two briefings if you have not and you continue to watch this one, I am asking please that you would go back to the website apostoliciron spelled dot apostoliciron.com and watch the two previous call to war briefings uh number 1 and number 2 so that you can be up to date on this the purpose of these briefings is to uh, communicate with those who are willing to uh, be a part of a worldwide uh, round-the-clock spiritual warfare prayer chain by time zone this is the direction the lord has given me for call to war 2016 And it's not about what's going to be happening here in Annapolis. And it's not about what's going to be happening just with those who are watching the live stream of those sessions and participating that way. This is an opportunity for the church worldwide in each time zone to come together, do their part, and pray spiritual warfare with all of us participating at the same time. This is the direction the Lord has given and i will not go into any of the details on that since i've covered that in pretty significant detail as I, much as i'm capable in the last two video briefings and so i am i'm suggesting again that you that you watch those video briefings to for the discussion on the 24 hour prayer chain in addition to that on the website apostoliciron.com you can download a pdf file which is the Uh, It's called Battle Plan, and uh, it will give you written details so that you can follow along through that and understand the written details on the prayer chain and on what I will talk about today, and that is the 21 days of preparation before the week of warfare. And uh, we'll also give you scriptures and some discussion on both of those and the details of how you can participate to whatever degree you decide to, to participate. So I would uh, encourage you to do both of those. Uh, there's other materials available, of course, on the theapostoliciron.com. You can also type in uh, calltowar.com, C-A-L-L, the number two, W-A-R.com, and it will link you directly to apostoliciron.com the page where all of this stuff is, is there. Uh, again, as you have may have uh, been aware of, or be, you might be aware of, uh, the Lord has been leading me to uh, use Twitter and Facebook, my personal page, and my Apostolic Iron Facebook page to really try to encourage the church to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need desperately need to pray. Prayer is the answer, not now lay me down to sleep. Prayer, not God is great. God is good. Let's thank you for our food. Prayer, not our our uh, hallelujah, hallelujahs, hail marys, our fathers, and thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus is, but uh, but prayer, sincere, heartfelt prayer of. Being allowing ourselves to be used by God as conduits for Him to pray those things into the spiritual atmosphere of the earth that He has said specifically in His Word that it is His will for His people to allow Him to do and to participate with Him to do. That is all there. Uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of that today, but there is a documentation. There's a call war syllabus available that will uh, allow you to study through those things and plus the five previous call to war have 24, twenty-five hour plus each of teaching and training on how to war and t- talking about all, this, the, all these details on this and so that's not the purpose of today's lesson. The purpose of today's briefing uh, is to discuss with you the preparation in advance of the week of war- warfare. Uh, as I have discussed uh previously uh on the early in the morning on march the 29th of this year the spirit of the lord spoke to me very early in the morning as i was in prayer and said uh solemn assembly and i went to joel 2 where it talks about calling for a solemn assembly and there found that the lord called for a solemn assembly of his people to come together and for them to be able to pray for them to pray the specifics of the prayer that he itemized to Joel and through Joel uh, in Joel chapter 2 for the people of God and then when they prayed those itemized issues and as you study that and as I talked about in detail in the last briefing you will see that that was a call to warfare praying that that prayer was a warfare prayer and then all the promises God made. But as the Lord was talking to me about that direction, He's also talking to me about the uh, uh, the 24-hour the round-the-clock by time zone prayer chain of spiritual warfare. Uh, he said to me, I want you to ask people to prepare for this week of warfare. He said to me, I've never given you direction before uh, to ask for any kind of preparation before a call of war and I said, Lord, you're 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 right, you have not, and I have not presumed to ask for preparation that you did not direct. And so therefore I uh I uh I listened to him and I said, Okay, what kind of preparation are you talking about? And I didn't hint uh, you want three days of fasting and a week of fasting you uh, what, what i i didn 't hint and give and lead him on. I just said, "What do you want and I heard the words daniel 's twenty one days to victory." Well, I have been a student of Daniel and of his walk with God, his prayer, and so therefore uh, I had some idea of what that was about and uh, so I immediately went to uh, Daniel chapter nine and began with verse 1, and so I'm reading with you, uh, if you would, please, Daniel 9 and 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ah 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 Ahasuerus, of the seed, couldn't get that started, of the seed of the Medes, uh, which was made king over the realm of the uh, Chaldeans or Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years of the desolations of Jerusalem. So, the first part of the direction God gave me, uh, the Lord spoke specifically to his prophet, the conduit, Joel, and used Joel as a conduit for God to speak to the people, and God initiated the direction God initiated the call for the meeting. God detailed the prayer. And then God told them what he was going to do as a result of their prayer and them praying the specifics of that prayer. But Daniel's situation was completely different than that. It was completely different. Daniel was reading the prophet Jeremiah's book. And he saw in the book that Jeremiah had prophesied that Israel was going because of Israel's sin, that it, God was going to judge them with with a bondage, captivity by the Babylonians, and that Israel was going to be in bondage and captivity for seventy years. Well, uh, I'm not sure exactly how he did it, but somehow Daniel understood. Daniel knew how long this had been, and saw that the time those seventy years was almost up. And he, uh, he said, hey, this is wonderful. I think we'll take a vacation and uh, just sit back and, 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 and get us some tea to drink and we'll prop our feet up on our ottoman and we'll cross our legs at the ankles and we will just sit here and fan ourselves till the Lord shows up and does what he said he would do. Now, obviously, that's sarcasm. Because... That's not what Daniel did. And that's not what anybody who is a believer in the Word of God does when they see that the promise of God is near, that it's time for the promise of God to come to pass, that we're in the season of the of the potential fulfillment of the Word of God. And when the people of God saw or see that they're in that season, we are supposed to respond like Daniel responded. Because you see, <laughs> uh, Revelations chapter 2 and 3, of course, as we mentioned before in other uh, briefings and teachings, uh, one of the key elements of each of the messages of the Lord to the messenger... Of, the, of each of those seven churches in Asia in Revelation 2 and 3, was do you have spiritual ears to be able to hear, not audibly or auditorially, naturally speaking, but do you have the spiritual sensitivity, the spiritual awareness, the faith and the relationship with God to be able to recognize that God is speaking to us about something very important to us personally and also to his plan in the earth. And so, Daniel, that you could say God initiated, and certainly did, somebody put it in Daniel's heart to read Jeremiah. And Daniel read Jeremiah. And Daniel did the math. And Daniel says, Whoa, the 70 years are almost up. What? do I need to do to respond to this time, this season of the promise coming to pass? How do I prepare for me and prepare the people of God to receive what God's promise? This is so critical, dear one. This is so critical. There is a way to live with a promise. There is a way to not live with a promise. When you've got a promise from God, the promise isn't supposed to make you uh, uh, slack off. A lot of people like to relax. You know what it means to relax? Re means to do again. That means you get lax again. Lax is not good. Rest and relaxation are not synonymous. And A lot of people call relaxation rest and it's not the same. It's not the same. And so, hey, the promise of God is here, so we, let's just, we can, we can, we can, we don't have to do anything anymore. God's about to do what he's going to do. So I got a question. So the 500 people, the above 500 that saw Jesus ascend into heaven, uh, there were only 120 there on the morning when the day of Pentecost on the morning of the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Where were the other 380? 380! Where were they? They sure weren't where the Lord told them to be. He said, go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You shall receive the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That's what he said. He told him to do specific instructions. 120 believed and followed those instructions. 380 people that heard Jesus, the resurrected Christ, speak and then watch him ascend into heaven into the clouds and then saw and heard two angels speak were not even there when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Out of the thousands and thousands of people that Jesus ministered to and blessed with miracles, only 500 were there to see him ascend. And of that 500 plus, only 120 of them were willing and ready and able to obey him to prepare themselves and to do what he said for them to do so they could receive the promise. Now, I do believe that most, if not all, of that 380 were a part of the 3,000 that received the Holy Ghost were baptized that afternoon. But they weren't there when it happened. They weren't there when it was initially poured out. Now, you've you got to decide this for yourself. But I'm not going to be in the crowd watching people receive what I believe for all my life. I'm not going to be a spectator. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes... I'm not going to be on the sidelines. I'm not going to be in the crowd. I don't have to be Peter. I don't have to be the one preaching. That's not even the issue. But I want to be a part of that 120 that is present, or whatever the number is that is present, when it first happens. I want to be a part of that. I want to be experienced that. I've lived too long and been a part of the kingdom of God too long to miss out on that because there's something inconvenient that happens that keeps me from being present when he said he was going to do what he was going to do. Now, he didn't say when it was going to happen, but it couldn't have been forever because they had families and they had responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when he told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem until, uh, until they received the Holy Ghost, until they'd be endued with power from on high, he obviously knew they couldn't go and stay there for months and years on end waiting for it to happen. So they had to somehow have faith in his character and his understanding of them to know that he wasn't asking them for that. So they couldn't put aside life for the whatever period of time it turned out to be, to be present, to be there when God began the fulfillment of his promise of a new covenant. Now, You decide what you want, what's important to you. I've already decided that. I decided that many years ago. I'm not perfect. i got flesh like everybody else. I have to repent of stuff. I have to crucify this flesh just like everybody else through the grace of God, the Spirit of God, all of that. But in here, in here, I decided a long time ago, Lord, whatever you've got to do, whatever it takes for you, to enable me to be a part of that, do it, whatever it costs. You don't mean that, brother, right? Whatever it costs. <laughs> whatever it costs. There's nothing here that means more to me than being a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I've believed all my life for that. I want to be a part of it. So, the bottom line is this to think that I could be a part of that without being a part of the preparation process which would enable me to be positioned in God to be a part of that uh, is, excuse the word, maybe, hopefully this won't be too offensive to you, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. The idea... That I can live however I want to live, do whatever I want to do, and there's nothing for me to do. No, no preparation for me to be a part of what he's going to do in that, that week of warfare and what he's promised is going to happen when we pray that prayer. So be it. So the Lord, uh, the Lord directed me to Daniel's 21 days. And so what was Daniel's response? I I love this, uh, you know. Daniel's my kind of guy. He said, verse three, and I set my face unto the Lord. I there was a look on my face that reflected a a, a, a decision in my heart that says, look me in the eye, people. If you have to, but I have just focused myself on the lord my peripheral vision i want some tunnel vision here i don't want anything distracting me in my professional my provis- uh, peripheral vision because i have i'm focusing on the lord and i'm taking this time to prepare for his promise daniel did not believe that he was praying the promise into existence he already read the promise was coming He already read the scripture and saw that it was the time of the promise. The Lord said 70 years, and 70 years are almost up. He wasn't praying to persuade God to take Israel out of bondage in Babylon. He was praying to prepare himself and the people of God to be able to receive what God had promised. I set my face unto the Lord God. Well, what does it mean to set your face? To seek, to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. To seek what? No, not a what. To seek whom? He wasn't seeking for the promise. The promise was already assured. The prof- that's the purpose of prophecy the promise was already assured he set his face to seek God to prepare himself and he had faith to pray that he could help pray for Israel to prepare them to receive what was already assured and that's the promise of God that's the promise of God now I don't know about your experience but in my lifetime, in uh, walking with the Lord and in my ministry with Him, ha, I've never had a God give me a promise that looked possible. And most of the times when He gave me a promise or a prophecy, that situation within the short time began to look even more impossible than it was when I was, when He first gave that to me. Well, how can that be? Shouldn't everything begin to turn around? No. What do you think the purpose is of a prophecy, of a promise? The Lord doesn't have to speak to us the stuff that's obvious. It's obvious it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. He doesn't have to speak that to us. He speaks to us that stuff that we need his logos empowered by and communicated to us by spirit, which makes it Rama so that we can believe in spite of circumstances. You know, circumstances in America today and in our world don't look really favorable for the church to be or become anything. In fact, it looks like we are more and more and more being pushed into closets and corners, and, and and so many preachers and believers are shutting their mouth out of self-preservation. So you can't look at where we are and say, "Oh, look, all that God's promise is about to come to pass." Isn't this wonderful? No, no, we're not there. There's nothing about the circumstances of our present world that would indicate, in any way, shape, or form, that. Man, the promises of God are about to come to pass. No. No. In fact, it's looking darker all the time. I think there's a verse that says something along this line where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound, and that we are the light of the world. Hey, the darker it gets, the brighter we shine. And those of you who want to hide, you can hide in the noonday sun as a candle. You're not even noticeable. But you either snuff your light out so that your candle doesn't burn, or the darker the world gets, the more obvious it is who and what you are. So Daniel, Daniel gave himself, he set his face to seek the Lord. Daniel set his face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And this is is what he did. Verse 4, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said unto the Lord, Uh, The great and dreadful God keeping the covenant of mercy unto them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. We... Verse, next verse. We have sinned. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Have you ever read about Daniel? The guy who risked a lion's den because he refused to pray even when the king's command was he couldn't pray to anybody but him? This guy? This guy's confessing? This guy's saying, we have sinned? And anybody out there says the church doesn't need to repent? We don't have anything to repent for? How about pride? How about spiritual blindness and arrogance? If Daniel, if the prophet Daniel, who was blessed of God, and there's not one even hint of an iota of, Wrong in this man's life at any place in the book of Daniel. If he repented, if he confessed before God in preparation for receiving the promise, who in this world could claim they don't need to do that? Good luck with that. And I mean that sarcastically because I don't believe in luck because the word says exactly what's going to happen there because the Bible says what's going to happen to the impenitent and I'm not trying to be mean I'm trying to allow the Lord to stir your spirit Jesus name in Jesus name so Daniel prayed unto the Lord, my God, verse 4, and made my confession and said, Lord, O Lord, the great dreadful God, keeping the covenant mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from the precepts, from Thy precepts and from Thy judgments. Neither Verse 6. Have we hearkened unto thy service the prophets which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land? What is he he talking about here? (laughs) He wasn't talking about him or Israel necessarily anything they were doing or not doing that day. But it appears as though if I'm to believe his prayer, he's praying for all of that sin, all of those things that Israel did and didn't do, that provoked their God to judge them by sending Babylon on them as judgment and removing them from the from the land that God had promised to them. And Daniel knew that neither he nor the people of God could be returned by promise to the place that God had ordained them to be in without dealing with those things that caused God to be provoked into having them forcibly removed from the land in the first place. Oh, friend, friend, friend. I don't know about you, but it's so easy. It's so easy. to to pray and to deal with whatever struggle I've got today. When I look back and consistently this has not been happening in my life and this has been happening and things haven't been going like God has promised and, and that's been for some time now and I'm just trying to repent for this. When I made decisions and took directions in my life weeks, months, years ago, that I've never repented for. I've never acknowledged to the Lord, I'm wrong. I was wrong then, and because I haven't repented for that, I'm still wrong now. In the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in John six, excuse me, Matthew six, and Luke eleven. He in there taught us to pray two things in the middle of that prayer that's so easy to just dismiss. Pray through in a hurry. He said that I, we are to pray that we would be, I'm paraphrasing now, we would be forgiven of our sins as we, forgived, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It, let's pray all this stuff that's important in the middle and Let's take care of this stuff at the end. Let's just pass through this because it's not really that big a deal. Really? Really? Well, first of all, Jesus said, if I won't forgive, he won't forgive me. And after 48 years of ministry, I am appalled at the number of believers who have done the mental and emotional carnal gymnastics where they have justified how okay it is and why it should be understandable and, it, and okay with God that they have been wronged. And so therefore, they have a right to have an offense against someone who, well, Paul said in Acts twenty four sixteen. herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men offended with God, I have had some debate me strongly over that. You can't have an offense against God. He didn't do anything wrong. Then why would Jesus say, blessed is he that's not offended in me? It's not what God did was wrong. It's that we didn't understand it or and or didn't like it. We got offended because we didn't understand it and or did not like it. And Paul made that statement, Acts 24, 16, right in the middle of his defense before the king when he was talking about how he had been mistreated. And obviously he acknowledged that God had allowed him to be treated like that. So he exercised himself daily to make sure he didn't allow any of his circumstances to cause him to blame God for that and have an offense toward God over that. And then he said, and toward men. And Paul tells us why that's important in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says that, I'm paraphrasing again now, that unforgiveness gives Satan an advantage over us. It gives him leverage in our lives. We're giving him an open door to defeat us. And so therefore, both grudges and offenses and or offenses that are unforgiven And sin in our lives that we have not repented of and not been forgiven of, and maybe we repented of the sin, but God couldn't forgive us because we wouldn't forgive. These things leave an open door in our lives and essentially make us defenseless in spiritual warfare. My friend, I I understand that 21 days of some kind of fasting and prayer from October the 4th to October the 24th, in preparation for this week of warfare, this solemn assembly of spiritual warfare and this 24-hour prayer chain around the world, I realize that that sounds like a lot for anybody to do. I'm not asking, and the Lord's not asking, for you to pray 24 hours a day for 21 days. I'm not asking that. But the point is this. Whatever it takes for you to lay before the Lord, lay yourself open before the Lord, for Him to examine your heart, your mind, your spirit, your motives, your life, and that you and Him, Him and you, would examine everything there. The Bible says examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Know you not that you're reprobate? If you're not walking according to His word? That's not an exact quote, but it, 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 I can be—I can consider myself in the faith and be reprobate because I'm not willing to let the Lord examine every part of my life, every corner of my heart, every crack, every crevice, every place where the the dust motes of attitude and spirit can collect, and they're just dust. It's no big deal. Oh, really? Really? Any of that gives the adversary an open door to defeat you if you come against him. Now, I know, I know, I know. David came against Goliath with just a sword, excuse me, with a sling and five smooth stones, no armor. Is that what you believe? He said, I come in against you in the name of the Lord. My Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into and are safe. He had the greatest and best armor there was. He didn't go defenseless against Goliath. He went with the best protection there was. And he had confidence in his place in God because of his prayers. And many of his prayers were turned into songs or psalms. And we can hear the heart of David as he prays and cries out to God. So when David goes out against Goliath, he didn't go defenseless. He didn't go unarmed. He didn't go without armor. He went protected. He went protected. But we, some, some want to go against the adversary when they're not submitted to the authority. They're in rebellion or disobedience. Nobody's telling me what to do. Really? Let me tell you something. You got the attitude nobody's going to tell you what to do, and I don't have to listen to anybody. I'm submitted to God. There will be somebody telling you what to do because you will be defeated by the the adversary, and he will rule your life, and you will listen to him because you won't have a choice. Why do you think Paul talked about armor as our protection? Now, it doesn't say all of that in the Book of Daniel. But Daniel understood the need, the importance of preparing himself before God to receive the promise. And I'm saying to you that part of our promise is that called to spiritual warfare. And my friend, my brothers, my sisters, I beg of you, do not enter into warfare without some kind of preparation. Without you spending some time, however you do it, this is what I believe the Lord has called us to do, is to spend 21 days doing some kind of fasting. It can vary. It can vary. Some days you may do a Daniel fast, and everybody's got all kinds of different opinions of what a Daniel fast is. For me, I've always not eaten sweets, and I've not eaten bread, and I've not eaten meat, and I've not drank, I've not partaking of beverages that were strong drink, like Coke, Diet Coke, and other things like that. And so, to me, that's an annual fast. A lot of people got a different different, different definition. Whatever you and the Lord are, are at peace with, where you're not trying to cheat Him by getting away with as much as you can do, do that. Or you might fast just one meal, you just eating one meal that day. And, and and you fast the rest of the time, but while you're actually seated at the table for that meal, you eat normal, and when you get up, you don't eat anymore in that 24 hour period. Or you may fast where you drink whatever can be poured, but you eat no solid food. Or you maybe you you uh, <coughs> drink your coffee uh, <laughs> or tea for me, and uh, and and you know eat nothing. Else, whatever. I'm not here to judge how you and the Lord decide that you're supposed to fast on any one days. And you can you can do the whole thing And Daniel fast, do the whole thing one meal a day. You can do the whole thing straight through with no whatever, uh, what, whatever, whatever you and the Lord decide. You can mix and match all of that. That's not even the point. It's not the idea of uh, 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 of twenty one days of depriving my body. It is a time of consecration. It's a time of laying yourself bare and vulnerable before God. So he can talk to you about things you're usually too busy to hear him speaking to you over. Now, some, we, we're in a day and time where some fast media fasts, and I'm certainly not going to take a position on that, that you shouldn't do that. But in this 21 days, I do not believe in my spirit that a media fast is a substitute for some other kind of fasting where you're saying no to the body i certainly understand if god leads you to to some degree or other for however many days and all of that that uh, some type of media or whatever that you are uh, uh you're going to sacrifice or not sacrifice to god it's not a sacrifice but you're going to you're going to say no to your flesh by the grace of god and not participate in some kind of media now if you're fasting from eight-track tapes, or you're fasting from uh, um, uh, VHS tapes, uh, I don't think you're being very sincere. <laughs> but whatever, whatever God leads you to do, and some time and in some situations, the uh, pastor of your church or you as a pastor will give direction for your church for those that will participate in your church for specific specific days, times, putting those things together, however you and the Lord feel to do that. I just believe that God is asking us to participate in a time of dedication, consecration, making ourselves bare before the Lord, chastening. That's what fasting is, biblically, in the Old Testament especially, it says it is a time of chastening the soul. Not the body, but chastening the soul before the Lord in fasting. Daniel did these. Daniel participated in this. Just, just, just l- listen to this now again. Uh, verse seven. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto Thee, but unto us confusion of faces. Are you, are you having a hard time hearing from God? Are you having a hard time knowing what direction to go? Are you having a hard time finding direction for? natural and spiritual decisions. That's called confusion. And it literally in the Hebrew is shame. There is, when I'm under conviction or condemnation for what I've done, how I've lived, and I don't confess that and let God forgive me and deliver me from that, I cannot clearly hear from God. In Paul's prayer where he said, uh, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. Uh, the word conscience there in the Greek, Strong's, I love the way Strong's put it. Strong says the word conscience is co c-o, hyphen, perception. In other words, a conscience is when God and my spirit communicate together and speak to me about right and wrong. But the problem is this. If I have an offense towards somebody else, I lose the co in my perception. So I can't trust any feeling I have. I can't trust any perception I have. I, I can't trust any decision I make. Because I've made it totally by myself. Not only is the Word of God and the Spirit of God not helping me in that, but my own conscience isn't working. How many people of God? They say, well, God doesn't talk to me. Really? If God doesn't talk to you, there's a reason God doesn't talk to you. Oh, He's talking. There's a reason you can't hear. Confusion of face. John said it this way, if our heart condemns us not, then whatever we ask, we can have confidence, we'll receive it. Because God's greater in our heart. And so often, the reason we can't get direction from God is, our own heart tells us that's not right that's not right of course the problem is we can sear our conscience with hot iron and that means we kill the sensitivity of conscience so we can no longer feel our conscience that lets us do whatever we want to do and convince ourselves it was okay because we don't feel any bad anything bad we haven't done anything wrong we don't feel that doesn't bother me to do that it scares me to death when somebody's doing something the word of god specifically says for them not to do and they say well My conscience doesn't feel bad about that. Well, of course it doesn't. Because you've ignored it so many times, you've seared it. It no longer works. Or you have an offense, and so therefore you've lost the coal with your conscience. And now it's only your own flesh, and the lust of your flesh that's telling you what right and wrong is. Well, there's no hope then. Yes, there's hope. The hope is that somehow you will lay yourself before the Lord. You will obey God. You will do the will of God. You will give yourself to God. You'll do what Daniel did for himself and for the people of God. Lay yourself out before God. And say, Lord, there's no, don't hold anything back. And there's nothing. There's no part of me, in my minds, my thoughts, my desires, my priorities, my likes, my dislikes. Nothing I love. Nothing I hate. There's nothing. Nothing, God. That you can't talk to me about. And by your grace, I'm going to listen to it. And by your grace, I'm going to respond to it. And do what you say for me to do. And not do what you say for me not to do. By your grace. See, that's that's another whole subject. And I don't have the time to go into it in very much detail. But if there's anything in our Christian world today that is totally misunderstood, it's Grace. Well, grace is the unmerited favor of God. True. That's what the motive, God's motive is behind grace. It's favor given without it being deserved. But what's the favor? Favor is Philippians 2.13. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The word worketh means to activate, to energize, to cause to be operative. It is God that activates in me and causes to be operative in me both the desire to do what pleases God and then gives me the superma- supernatural empowerment to do what pleases God. That word... uh works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure, that's the verb form of dunamis, which is the Greek word for power, or is supernatural impartation or empowerment to do what you cannot do yourself. So when 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 grace is at work in my life, grace is activating in me the desire to please God, not the desire... To convince God to accept me like I am so that I can live by my lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of the life. The Bible says those are things of the world. And any man love the world, love of his father's not in him. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. These are in the world. And if, if this is in you, the love of the father's not in you. But there's so many people that are constantly trying to talk God into and convince themselves that it's okay with God for them to give priority and uh, 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 power of the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, the pride of their life over their flesh. Well, let me tell you what. Have I never given in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life? Of course I have. But the only hope I've got is that the Lord would convict me of that and that I would allow Him by His power to do a work in me to cause me to repent of that and he would forgive me of it praise god that's the purpose of confession and repentance is for the lord to bring godly sorrow to my heart why why is that so important godly sorrow not worldly sorrow the sorrow of this world is the sorrow of getting caught We don't want to be embarrassed, so we have worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow is when I recognize that against thee, and against, as David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in I sight, that my sins are not the breaking of the rules of some church. That my sin is not violating the preaching of some pastor. That my sin is a personal affront against the God who's the creator of all this, the I am, my Father. It's a personal act against him. And I'm going to pray, do spiritual warfare, receive a promise when I am participating in things that he takes personally. Well, he's, not, he's God. He doesn't take things personally. <laughs> the only way anyone can say that is they don't read the Bible. And read the Bible. The Bible, he describes himself as jealous. He describes himself as angry. He says, my people have forgotten me days without number. You can't read that verse without feeling the, 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 the forlorn feeling of God and how disappointed he is that after all he's done for people, they don't have any time for him. So godly sorrow... Is sorrow toward God for what I've done or what I haven't done so that He can forgive me and I can repent. And repentance means change. Now, do I always change immediately after I repent? No, it's my intent to change. But I, don't, I haven't always understood how to allow the grace of God to empower me to do what I have repented about not doing or how to let the grace of God empower me to not do what I have repented over doing but as I've grown to the Lord and understand that I can't do that myself and I let His grace empower me to do that then His grace will empower me to change and as I change I'm delivered more and more from shame and condemnation. There's a boldness that comes. There's a confidence that comes in God, not in me. Now, I will say this. (laughs) I've said this to many people. Some of you, I might have said this to you. The, The devil does not care if you believe God can do anything as long as you never believe that God can do anything through you. That means I've got to have some kind of relationship with God that I can have confidence, not just in God, but in my relationship with Him. That's not arrogance. That is, that's confidence. It's like a man trusting his wife or a wife trusting her husband. Their relationship is such, and they know each other well enough, they don't have to worry about where their husband is or their wife is because they trust them and they have confidence in that relationship with them. And I want to have that kind of relationship with God. Where I not only trust God, but God trusts me. I want God to be able to trust me. I want that kind of relationship with Him. So that He can trust me to please Him. Because I can't do that myself. But I'm willing for Him to empower me to both want to please Him and to be able to do those things that please Him. And I want Him to be able to trust me. That I am truly submitted to him by being crucified with Christ. And that I am now his conduit. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And so, Daniel prayed. Daniel repented. And I'm just going to read quickly here for a minute, try to move along. Uh, Again, verse uh, 7, Daniel... Uh, nine, O Lord, righteousness belongs th- unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day. To the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, unto all of Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belong confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. See? We've sinned against thee. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, but God is a person. He's not an idea. He's not some faceless, feelingless thing. We're made in his image. We have feelings. We have feelings because the one whose image we were made in has feelings. Verse 9 To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Forgiveness is Though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel has have transgressed thy law. This is Daniel praying. He's praying for himself. He's praying for Israel because the time of the promise is there. All of Israel have transgressed thy law even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured out upon us, and the oath that is written of the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as, ha- as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer. Before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. You know what he just said? Daniel just said that after God judged Israel, they still didn't repent. They still didn't repent. After all that happened with Babylon coming in and removing them from the promised land and others that were scattered in other nations, they still didn't repent. Verse 13, as it, is, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. He's just said it again. They didn't repent. They didn't repent. Verse 14, Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O oh Lord God, and now, and now, Lord, all of this stuff is true. And you are righteous in letting this judgment come upon us because of all we have done in disobeying you and, and despising you and offending you and violating your word and not listening to those that you sent to talk to us. And now, O oh Lord God, Lord our God, Thou hast brought Thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten Thee renown, as, as at this day we have we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to all Thy righteousness, I beseech Thee, let Thine anger and Thy fury be turned away from the city, Thy city Jerusalem, Thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O oh God, O oh, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Don't forgive us for our sake. Forgive us for your sake, for your city's sake, for your promise's sake, for your name's sake. Verse 18, Oh, my God. Incline thine ear and hear. Oh, open thine eyes. And behold our desolations in the city, which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. Now listen to this final verse. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. Oh, my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. The Lord swore an oath to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 22. He made a promise to Abraham and swore by an oath he'd bring it to pass. That will be the primary subject of either briefing number four or five. I don't know yet. One or the other. The Lord swore against His own deity that He would bring the promise He made to Abraham to pass. That means He said, If I don't do this, I'm not God. It is time for the Lord. We've reached the season when God is ready to begin to fulfill that oath to Abraham and the earth. We are not praying for God to do this for us. We're not even really praying for God to do all of this for the lost sake. We're praying for him to do this for his sake. For his name's sake. For his plan and purpose sake. For his word's sake. His logos. Not because we're worthy. Any worthiness we have is him in us. Because in our flesh. In us that is in our flesh. There dwells no good thing. We will never be able to take the credit. Paul said... What do you have that you didn't receive? And if everything you've got you received, you didn't earn it, it was given to you, then how can you boast about it? How can you take pride in that which was given to you as a gift? All of the glory and honor belongs to the giver, not to the receiver. So we're praying because the time is here for the Lord to fulfill his oath to Abraham. We're praying and we're preparing to pray. For his sake, not ours. And we're confessing and repenting for his sake, not ours. Because he's the one who's worthy. He's the one who's worthy. Just for the last few minutes here again, there's still some after watching all this that say, I haven't done anything I need to repent for. My church doesn't need to repent. (laughs) Well... So many of us confuse and have confused morality with sin. And because we have not done anything immoral, we believe we're sinless. (laughs) That is so sad. It's sad. It's just so, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so sad. Because the real problem is this. The greatest sins that we commit are the sins of, as believers, are the sins of omission, not the sins of commission. We talk about all the stuff we haven't done. We have, well, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I don't need to repent of all that. Well, about it, what about all the stuff that we're told to do that we don't do? That's sin. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, and the word good there is not the synonym of morality. It is sin, he that knows to be moral and is immoral sins. What is doing good? Whatever pleases God, whatever he's called and commissioned us to do, whatever he expects out of us in relationship with him. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. The Greek word translated sin, and I noticed in study just recently, that the Hebrew word, the primary Hebrew word that's translated sin, means the same thing, to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Well, I've said this many times. I can't miss something I'm not trying to hit. So I claim that I'm trying to be a Christian. But is it possible to try to be a Christian and miss the mark or sin? That's the definition, because the stuff we usually call sin is atomized as what they are. It's disobedience, it's rebellion, it's stubbornness, it's unbelief, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Transgressions—that's all sin. But the word that's applied to everyone, but especially Christians, when we sin, it's the word that means to miss the mark. He's—he's he's got a, a place for us. He's got a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. And if we don't fulfill that in Him, by Him, through Him, we've missed the mark. We could come to church every service, pay our tithes to the penny, give the missions, live by the, the teachings of separation, never miss a service, always obey the preacher, and miss the mark we can miss the mark and so people say well i haven't done anything i need to repent for no what about the things that you haven't done you need to repent for i mentioned it already jeremiah 3 2 verse chapter 2 verse 32 says the last part of that verse says my people have forgotten me days without number Oh, well, i pray yeah Hallelujah, 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 thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And he said for us not to come to him with vain repetition. There's no way for him to respond to that prayer. There's no way for him to answer that prayer. Well, I'm praising God the whole prayer time. I've taught it for years. If you're not going to do anything else, at least talk in tongues let him do the praying. At least my people have forgotten me days without number. He didn't say my people haven't prayed specifically what they call prayer. But my people have not connected with me. There hasn't been any fellowship between us. They still go through the motions of what they call prayer. and It's nothing but a religious exercise. There's no life to it. There's no vibrancy to it. There's no faith in it. There's no connection with me in it. And so therefore, and then they get up and they prayed. It's like the adulterous woman that wipes her mouth and says she's done no wrong. Uh, Ooh, that that offends me, preacher. Really? What's the difference when I say I have just communed with my God, prayer, and I did no such thing? Isn't that the same thing? Sorry, I believe it is. Go through the motions. Or, or if we do pray, we pray to make sure we're still saved and we pray to make sure that God knows all the things that He needs to fix for us. And that's it. Forget God and His plan, His purpose, His kingdom, the lost. Forget all that. I don't have time for all that. I just need to make sure I'm still saved and that... He knows what all I need Him to do for me today because He's the servant and I'm God and I would give the orders and He follows them and if He doesn't do it, I'm, I'm angry with Him. And it, we have nothing to repent for. We think that's okay? Honestly. We think that's okay? Well, yeah, that's easy, see. It doesn't cost us anything. We just put in some time and and, and just just mumble words. We don't. We're not, our minds are a million miles away, and we get up and we we're like the Pharisee. Boy, God, you are very lucky. I spent some time with you today. You're just really blessed to have me, God, and going about your business, so sure that everything's okay. And the world is going to hell, and the God who robed Himself in flesh and died for them can't fulfill His plan because He can't find anybody who will companion with Him, partner with Him in prayer to see things change for them. And we don't have anything to repent for. Or how about this? Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be be astonished, O ye heavens, at this and be horribly afraid. Be ye desolate, heavens, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Not one, two. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. One evil. And they've hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now a cistern is a hole in the ground. For the purpose of being a container of water. And the only way a cistern, that container, has any water in it is if it's poured into the mouth of the hole. And then as those who need the water out of the cistern, they put down some kind of instrument and draw it out because it doesn't flow. There's no flow to it. So they have to retrieve what they put there. The container that is religious christianity and what's really sad is those who claim to be spirit filled and they live just like that because jesus said in john 14 4 14 whoever drinks of the water that i shall give him shall never thirst for the water that i shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And that word well there means spring or fountain. So the Lord said, when you partake of me, I'm going to transform you inside and I'm going to give you a source of living water inside you that you can draw out and never thirst for this world again. Because I'm always going to be there. To satisfy your thirst. It's life. And it comes from the fellowship I have with you. And you you and me. And I and you. And that's what I promised you. And that's what I've given you. But he said, my people. I, I, I was willing to be to them a fountain of living water. So they would never thirst again. But they forsook me the fountain of living water. And they've dug them out a hole in the rock of religion. That they got to put something in to be able to get something out and and, and it's, it's, it's all artificial, there's no life in it, there's no flow in it. And we have nothing to repent for. Or how about the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 about his body, and the repeated theme of that prayer? several times, was that he wanted his body to be one. And just like man has tried to divide God up into parts, we've divided the church body up into parts. And a lot of times we have used our own personal little doctrines to justify our agendas, to have power and control. And if you're not going to let me be in charge, I'm going to take my ball and go home, and I'm going to form my own group so I can be in charge there. And we've thought nothing of it. And we've divided the body into so many parts, we have, we have emasculated it so that it does not have the power that God intended it to have in the earth because we've got to divide it up so much. And why is there a human face and a human name that's directly connected with every one of these divisions because the new part is all built on that personality? Why is that? All divided up. All divided up. And yet, we're so sure that our conviction that we've turned into a doctrine is right and that we're justified in coming out from among them and being separate because they haven't dotted our I's across crossed our T's. And they can't be the church. And we get up publicly and belittle them and accuse them of all kind of things when Jesus called the Laodicean church the church in Revelation 3. And he called Sardis, who had a name that they were living but they were dead, church. And he called Ephesus, that had all the I's down and T's crossed of the doctrine. But they left their first love and they were involved, but it wasn't for him, it was for themselves, and he wasn't getting any glory out of it. He called them the church. And yet we don't think there's anything wrong with the church being all divided up like we is like it is. And we have nothing to repent for. Well, it's divided. It's not my fault. What are you doing to try to help get it be together? Some are not going to like this, but there's no denomination or name or sect or no name on this effort. Anyone that wants to join with us and pray is welcome to pray. Their spiritual condition between them and God's God's business. It's not mine. I'm not judging any man who's willing to pray with me. His eternal situation is between him and God. My responsibility is to love him. And if he's willing to pray with me, pray with him. Can you imagine Ananias being told to go over and pray with Paul? Saul, who was persecuting the church and having Christians killed? And he gets there and he says to this man, hasn't even been baptized or received the Holy Ghost yet, brother Saul. Where's that spirit of the apostolics in us? Where's that spirit of the early church in us? Where is it? And we have nothing to repent of. How about Jesus saying he came, Luke 19.10, he came to seek and save the lost. I I am so amazed that God has given me the privilege to preach on every continent in this world other than Australia and New Zealand at this point. And someday I believe that's going to happen. But you know something? <laughs> the sad, sad thing is I've gone so many places, preached at so many churches and areas where the church has no priority close to souls and reaching souls being their first priority. Our priority is having church and holding a group together and making sure all of the I's are dotted and T's crossed of our doctrine and all those things. Our priority is not the loss of this world's going to spend eternity in hell. That's not our priority. It was his priority. And we claim we're followers of his. We claim he lives in us. We live in him. We claim all that. Well, we don't have His priorities at all. He told us to pray. Commanded us to pray. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest would send forth, in the Greek word there's thrust out or eject His laborers into His harvest. He, He even admitted in His prayer That to get us to go into the harvest field, it couldn't be by invitation. The Greek word there is ekballo, which is E-K-B-A-L-L-O. That's the English equivalent letters at least. I'm not a Greek scholar. But that word is most frequently used in reference to casting out devils. And the Lord Jesus Christ used that word to talk about what it was going to take to get his people off their backsides and into the harvest field out of their spiritual hammocks and recliners, the place of comfort they've found, and into the harvest field. And we don't have anything to repent of? We have no reason to repent? When's the last time you prayed for the lost? When's the last time you were, you even talked to somebody that was lost? When's the last time it, Somebody took your parking space at church or sat on your spot in church and instead of being upset because they got your place, you rejoiced in God that somebody was there to hear the gospel. And we have nothing to repent of. The Lord gave us specific direction of how to pray in Matthew 6, Luke 11. And it's pretty easy to prove that those things are supposed to be prayed every day. To whatever degree, some days I pray them in great detail and some days I pray them in a few sentences, each one of them. As the Lord leads, but it's easy to prove He expected us to pray His prayers every day. How many of us do that and we have nothing to repent of? Finally, there are three symptoms that prove that a church is bound spiritually and needs victory. Number one is there's no spontaneous free flow of worship in their services that don't have to be prompt and primed and pumped and prodded from the pulpit. No free flow of worship, praise. Nothing there unless it's pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Or for those that gave up on the spiritual side, hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped. And then the second symptom, those that need a victory in spiritual warfare, is a church that all of their efforts to reach out to this world are essentially unfruitful, hard to get people to come to church. Everything you try, nothing works. Nobody wants what we've got. That's our excuse. When the real problem is our efforts are bound. Israel planted a lot of harvests that their enemies came in and stole before they could reap it. And you don't think there's any possibility of that happening for us? Fruitfulness is in the DNA of the church. It's it's in there from the beginning. John talked. All, Jesus talked all about fruitfulness in John fifteen. He expects fruitfulness, and when we're sincerely, honestly making an effort, and nothing is working, we have some re- repenting to do, and some warfare to do, and then finally, Jesus said, "If you repent, you're baptized." Jesus' name, for the remission of sins, you you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And yet, we baptize people and nobody gets the Holy Ghost. Or those that receive the Holy Ghost, we have to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost. Nobody gets the Holy Ghost easy. And there's been no such thing as a spontaneous, uh, someone spontaneously receiving the Holy Ghost without somebody having to pray them through in either a long time or ever. Jesus said the Holy Ghost was a gift. If people are if it's hard for people to receive the Holy Ghost, there's spiritual opposition. Well, where's the sin in all this? Accepting that as the norm. Just living with it, putting up with it, not hungering and thirsting after different, not determining and resolving that your God, our God, is not being glorified like this, that whatever it takes for us to To see this change, see this break, we're going to do that because it's got to change. To accept it, not recognize it and go to war, and refuse to allow it to continue, is sin. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him is sin. I haven't even talked about carnality, ungodliness. Given priority and precedence to religious tradition over the word of God. Heresy. Our silence with God. Silence with the lost. Pride, self-righteousness, etc. No. Those things are the obvious ones. you got your argument over all those. I'm talking about the things that are costing people their soul, which could easily cost us ours. We have nothing to repent over. What was it Israel did that caused their God who delivered them so mightily from Egypt to have them forcibly removed from the land he promised them? Whatever it was, whatever I got to repent for, for me, for the church, I want to be a part of repentance that prepares the church to pray the warfare that enables God to fulfill his word. Jesus said three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can't spoil the strong man's house if you don't first bind the strong man. He told Israel, I promise you this land, it's your possession, but you can't possess it till you first dispossess those who are abiding there. And there was a great curse in the word of God on Israel if they were going to try to possess and yet not dispossess those who were there. Church. Church. We can't continue like we are. We can't. Oh, we're having great revival. I am so thankful for every single individual who received the Holy Ghost. But God have mercy on us if what's happening is good enough for us it's not good enough for god is it good enough for us is it good enough for you yeah if you just want to go through the motions live your life i i like to golf and so you got plenty of time for the golf course got plenty of time for the fishing bank or the fishing boat or Deer stand or whatever else it is or for checking your stocks and bonds. You've got plenty of time for that. You've you, you got all the bases covered spiritually. You, you go to church. You're a good person all that. So, but the Lord leaves you alone let lets you live your life. It's You've know, you just got a good life. You're just, you're just living here now. This is your heaven. Hope you enjoy it. Because that's not what he promised. This is not his plan. So what are you going to do with that? Does it matter to you? In Jesus' name I pray that if it doesn't matter to you now, it will matter to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray that the Spirit of God, the angels of God will visit you in the night with dreams and visions and will communicate with you in such a supernatural way. It will cause you to roll out of bed and repent and cry out to God and say, oh, Here I am God, I want to be a part. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Jesus said, In Luke 12, verse 56, how is it you can discern the sky and you can't discern the time? Paul assumed that we could discern the time because he said, Romans 13, verse 11, knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. If this is in the Bible, then the people that Paul ministered to were in that kind of spiritual condition and he was admonishing them to come out of that spiritual condition. And we don't need admonishing today. Scripture says in Hosea 10-12, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he come and reign righteousness upon you. It's time, folks, and that time proves that it's time to pray. It's time to pray. What's so amazing to me, in closing this out, what's so amazing to me, is that Daniel didn't even know he was doing spiritual warfare. He didn't plan to pray twenty-one days. He just planned to seek God until something happened. It happened to be 21 days. And so, in that context, this is exactly where he was, where we are. In that context, while he prayed, the angel finally showed up and said, I say finally, the angel showed up right on time, and said, God heard you the very first time you prayed. But you were opposed You were warring and didn't know you were warring, but because you refused to give up without getting what you were seeking for, that empowered me to stand my ground. And Michael, your prince, your warrior angel, has come as reinforcements to defeat those that are resisting your answer. And it's brought down the kingdom of Persia. It's brought it down. prince of Persia has been defeated. This has made way for the next kingdom, the prince of Grecia. Daniel prayed, seeking God, repenting of his sins, getting right with God for himself and Israel, and didn't even know he was doing warfare because of the preparations there. In Jesus' name, I, I, I plead with you. In Jesus' name, to give serious prayerful consideration and be a part of this, this time of preparation, and this round-the-clock prayer chain, because it is time. It is time. It is high time. And because the Lord is ready to do this great thing, and we need to be prepared to be a part of it so we can be a part of it. Jesus said, Behold, I give you, this Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give you, power, that's what King James says, the Greek word is authority. Pa- authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, the adversary. And here's his promise. If you aggressively, in faith, confidence in me, go after the enemy and tread on, the Greek word uh, literally means contemptuously. The demons who do the work of, similar to scorpions and And serpents, and over all the power of the enemy, here's my promise of protection nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is God's promise. Do we fear the devil and what he may do to us more than we fear God and believe God? My friend, I'm asking you, please, that you would give time and prayer to consider this. If you'd like to go to the website apostoliciron.com, there is this battle plan which is the PDF file and you will find uh, not only specific directions and instructions on how you can participate in all this, but there's also scriptures and some discussion, both of the uh, Joel's prayer, which is the prescribed prayer for the, for the week of warfare and also of Daniel's 21 days to victory. And you can, you can read this in there and, and hopefully as you pray and study and, And look at it it for yourself that God will talk to you. In Jesus' name, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for receiving this. If you're offended, there was no intent on my part to be offended. I pray that the conviction of God, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, would come upon each and every one of us. That by the fear of the Lord, we would depart from evil. And I loose the spirit of hunger and thirst after Jesus, after His kingdom. And after his righteousness upon us, that we might be drawn by the Spirit of God to our Lord Jesus Christ, to his will, to his way, to his life. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Thank you very much.